0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash
1: awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan.
0: You're listening to The Cricket Collective on Talk 4-2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So Jason Roy has been approached to play in the inaugural Major League Cricket Tournament in America. We'll talk about what that might mean for English cricket. Cameron Bancroft and Peter Hanscom are two of the latest Australian players to sign for counties on short-term deals ahead of the Ashes. We'll discuss, again, whether the mass influx of Australian players is a good thing for the county championship. Sussex head coach Paul Farbrace joins us to look ahead of, of the new season and discuss the signing of Steve Smith and the return of Joffre Archer. And we'll speak to Manchester Thunder bowler Phoebe Graham to reflect on the inaugural Women's Premier League. And we'll talk about the first ever women's draft in the 100. We'll end the show with any other business, as always, and a host of South African players are set to miss the start of the IPL to play bilateral cricket. So plenty to come, as always, over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Major League Cricket in America certainly um, wanting to start with a bang and uh, have made some big signings. Um, the offer to Jason Roy uh, of around $75,000 a game comes to a contract worth about £300,000 to play in that uh, inaugural season, Harmy is fascinating we heard initially that players with white ball only contracts might be released um, given NOCs to play in the major league cricket then we heard that the ECB might attempt to block their participation which will be tricky uh, it's a bubbling story
2: a bubbling story and it's Jason Roy's the big one we mentioned last week when we we spoke to to Liam Plunkett about it and he was indicating his mates well Jason Roy's one of his big mates and as, soon as he said that, I knew who he was talking about, and now obviously that was Jason. And we we mentioned Jason's name in speculation last week. It came out that three hundred thousand is yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for for Jason Roy to turn down or the ECB to turn him down. Um, Alex Yells has been mentioned. That's a no-brainer. He walks away. He's got no central contract, so there's no ramifications for it on the English cricket side of it, from that front, after the statement that the ECB have made, but Jason Roy has got one. There is a 50-over World Cup at the end of the year, and if Jason Roy decides he is going to play in that, then there's a conflict between him and the ECB. I'm sure that will get ironed out in a mature fashion, because obviously Rob Key and the way he's dealt with things so far, um, I'll back easy up on that from, but, Jason Roy might look at the, the sort of what's on the horizon and go, David Milan, want to open the baton? Talking about Joe Root coming back at number three in the 50-over World Cup, possibly Will Jacks, Johnny Best, will come back and open the baton. I could find myself out of the group again, like I did in Australia, and I've been turned down for a three hundred pounds contract. So Jason then might have a decision to make, and whether he turns his back on it or ECB pull him out, and so say you can't you can't go. You know, if you want to go then you're gonna to have to, you know, potentially retire from international cricket. That will be a huge decision for Jason Roy to make. So it's all in the air, it's all speculation. But one thing we will say about this major league cricket, I think they're here to steer. They've got a pocket full of money, and I think it's a it's a massive it's a big thing for the ECB, um, headache wise, because if this gets bigger and better, it's going to be played at the similar time when you know, English cricket's on, potentially the 100's on, and the 125 grand for a big contract in the 100. Or, well, half the games, double the money. And I know where the players are going to go.
0: Yeah, well, it's um, certainly one to keep an eye on. Let's move on to the counter-championship then, and Cameron Bancroft signing for Somerset for the first, for the first uh, four rounds of the championship. Peter Hanscom was signed for Leicestershire. I don't think he's a shoe in for the Ashes squad, but if he scores a, a, a bunch of runs, Leicestershire will benefit and he might uh, earn a place in the Ashes squad. Todd Murphy was also going to be uh, playing for Durham, but <laughs> I find it peculiar that Cricket Australia has decided to manage his workload. Um, you know, he's, he's an off-spinner. I thought off-spinners like to play as much as possible. But, I mean, we could be in a situation where half the Ashes squad is playing... In the counter Championship before the Ashes begin, um, right or wrong, that's bizarre. I mean, that's like inviting the American Ryder Cup team to come and spend a fortnight on the uh, on the on the course before the Ryder Cup. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But like I said before, I don't think it really it's
2: going to have any bearing on the Ashes whatsoever. You know, the, the Aussies are going to be here well in advance of the first Test match because they're playing the World Test Championship. So some of the Australians might turn around and say, no, we're coming over to prepare for, you know, to be the world champions. That's what we're coming for. Um, but again, that would be just pie in the sky because they're all here for one thing and that's to get some preparation time in. For Australia, I find the the Todd Murphy one very interesting. Yeah, you mentioned 24-year-old working somebody's workload, but I think if you had any sort of brain cells about you, you'd think there's no chance of an off-spinner bowling. In the first first four weeks in in Durham, yeah, you of know, people to feel these fingers for the first four weeks at Durham. So, Durham played this week against Durham University, and I think the warmest it got on day one was about two point five or three degrees. So, it it is weird. It, it's weird that these guys have oh, are yeah. here, but I think it's I, I don't I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing. Hanscom, you don't average a great deal in English cricket. You know Bancroft had a great season in in Australia. Did very well for Durham. Durham highly thought of it. Durham. I met Cameron on a few occasions. In lovely lad. You know we all know his troubles. What he has in in South Africa. Whether Australia would pick him again. You know it'd be interesting because like England, I think there's a there's a hole at the top. They go in with Kawaja. Whether they bring Warner across, there's a there's a position there at, at number at number one to go in first. So it's not a shoe in that Ancroft's going to play against England. There's a shoe in that Hanscom's going to play against England. Todd Murphy won't play against England. So you know, they're, they're possibly coming across to push the selectors to, just in case anybody gets injured. The only person that's coming across, I think, that's definitely going to play against England is Steve Smith. So I think the others are, are fighting to be on the plane as is a 12th to 17th men and... Open that their form can give the selectors a nudge if Australia
0: don't get off to a good start you know what isn't mentioned much is the local players harmy uh mm-hmm. the guys who've worked their backsides off uh throughout the winter or several several winters uh and it's one thing saying yeah look Steve Smith he might put bums on seats um at Hove although I'm not sure he's playing at Hove actually I think he's playing away for the first couple of games but that's one thing signing them but I don't know. Cameron Bancroft, Peter Hanscom coming in and and playing three or four games, taking the place of a of a of a young English batsman who's been working hard for, to to get a crack in the championship. What about them? Yeah, I I get that, but you're always going to have
2: overseas manners. You're going to have players who are who are signed up as overseas. You have you have two overseas signed up. You're always going to fill them. You know, more often than not, the bigger counties. Once I've got a bit of cash, they'll have their two overseas earmarked for 16 championship games or 14 championship games, whatever it is now. Um, so they're the ones that are in through the, the rotation of the revolving door. So you're always going to play nine English players. You're going to play two overseas players and isn't, you'd like a, an element of consistency with them overseas players to help address them. But if... If somebody comes in for four games, somebody comes in. That's just the way the way this, you know, the county structure is now. The norm that players will come in for the first half of the season. They then go away because they don't they don't play twenty twenty cricket when the blasts are on. are in the fifth round of London, they'll less they'll they'll probably won't use the full quota of, of overseas EC's players. Mm. So counties will try and save money there on accommodation and and flights and everything that goes with that. So. Yeah, the rotation of the the overseas is, is one thing, but also you have a, a structure of a winning mentality. And if these players come in and help you get that structure at the start of the season, county cricket can be brutal. The roller coaster of emotions of of the championship, the first class cricket in England. So if you start well, you go on a you go on a run at the start of the season, you get on a crest of a whip then you, you know, the season's uh, end up being a, a fantastic season for your county. If you don't start well. Can be a, It can be a chore and then the dressing room breaks up. Fractions go in a different direction. There's a lot of selfishness. Coach ends up getting sacked. So, it's so important that your season gets off to a
0: good start. And if you get the right overseas in, you have a chance. Okay, finally, which is something we spoke about last week. Johnny Bairstow, um needing some game time before the international season begins. He is aiming to play two county championship games for Yorkshire in May. Um, and I hear on the grapevine that um, he's um, bristling a little bit. Um, uh, the suggestion that he might have to open the batting army, which is something that you said last week. I mean, how do you feel about Johnny bristling at you? Yeah, it's good,
2: isn't it? He's talking about him opening the batting, Johnny says, I'm going to keep working for Yorkshire. That would be a message to the selectors to say, I'm not opening the batting. I've got no interest in opening the batting at all. You might think, you yeah, know, I will go in and fill Zach Drolley's role and you know, lot not bored about consistency and getting off to a good start and putting bowlers under pressure from ball one. I'm Johnny basto I've got five international, uh, five Test 100s last year. Uh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Hold me hands up. Made a mistake. I got an injury. But if you want me to come back in, I can see myself coming back in as a wicketkeeper. So heads or tails, Brendan, do you want to, you want to pick Brent Folks or do you want to pick Johnny basto Because you've already got on record to say it. Johnny Bairstow will be in the team when he comes back. There was a massive message this week to say, you know, Johnny Bairstow's going to keep wicket for Yorkshire. That's Johnny Bairstow saying, I am not opening the batting.
0: <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And just very quickly, back to the MLC, the Major League Cricket. You don't see a standoff at this point. You don't see the ECB calling the bluff of someone like Jason Roy and saying, look, it's one or the other. It's essential contract and New England, it's a World Cup year or you can go and play MLC, but you can't have both. You don't see that happening. Not at this stage, because I think there'll be dialogue between both parties. I think
2: Jason's the only one. Moen is captain of his French, of his the Bears, and then obviously Birmingham. I don't see Moen going just yet, but I think Jason might read the room and go, am I going to miss out on this World Cup again, like I did in Australia? And then it could become an issue. But I think at this minute in time, I've got no doubt Rob Key will be talking to Jason Roy. If the offers on the table, this is what's happening, I think they'll come to a sensible solution. But if it gets further down the line and closer to it, especially if the Americans go, because it's Liam, Liam Plunkett, and Liam and Jason are very, very close, especially if it gets a bit closer and Major League Cricket go or we'll Gee three fifty or we'll Gee four hundred, all of a sudden because Jason Roy is a huge troll massive draw yeah world world champion 50 over world champion he is a massive draw i think for the for the american league then it could become a standoff and whether it gets messy or not i'm not so sure would jason have to retire i don't think it would come it's drastic to come to that point would the ecb back down i would have said 12 months ago no chance at all i'd have said between rob key the ecb and the player we might have a sensible solution. And fingers crossed it is because the last thing you want is to be a standoff and who wins, the player wins because of money on the table. And if he does that, I think it opens a door for the floodgates
0: to to really open and he will be the first of many that do that. Okay. Well, as I said, we'll be keeping a very close eye on that, not just us. I think a lot of people will be. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on talksport too. With me, Neil Matheson, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Delighted to say that, uh, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined live by Sussex's new head coach, Paul Firebraist, who um, was rather optimistically, I think, um, hoping to play a practice game against Surrey. A little earlier in the year, um, Fabi, and um, the w- weather not, not being kind. You no, know, it's not being kind at all. We, we've been very lucky here, though, that um, we have a marquee up
3: on our practice area so we have been on grass now for the best part of a month but every time we've tried to play a practice game it was supposed to be Hampshire last week Thursday Friday that was washed out on Wednesday um, and we were due to start against Surrey yesterday another two-day game we called it off on Sunday because of the outfield and ended up playing an Inter club 40 over game yesterday glorious sunshine fantastic this morning I walked up the road in pouring rain so you can't win can you in this weather well, if these
2: are getting that down on the south coast, then you can imagine that not many teams further north, especially where, I'm resided, where I reside, where I reside, is not the greatest of uh, preparation for a season starting. But how's the boys gone, Bobby? You've you've had some time to overcome at the end of last season. You've come into the new job. How have the young lads gone? And I think we have to go for the elephant in the room. What's the backlash been like
3: signing Steve Smith? Oh, I'm, I'm amazed, actually. I'm amazed how supportive all the England cricket fans have been. Uh, <laughs> how they've seen the positive of Stephen coming to play um, for three weeks, get his eye in, have a net. Uh, you know, I promise him if he gets out, we won't appeal. The others won't appeal. We'll let him back again. Uh, and he can have two or three innings. A bit like Sachin growing up on the savannah in Mumbai. Look, look I mean, you, you and I are both passionate about England cricket and about yeah. county cricket. And, you know, there's nobody more passionate about England than winning test matches and winning the Ashes. And like you, I've been excited by what I've seen from Baz and Stokesy and, and Rob Key over the winter, you know, the way they played the cricket. But look, I, I, I want England to win the Ashes. There's no doubt about that. But the, the opportunity to get a player like Steve Smith into your dressing room for a month where we've got a lot of very talented young cricketers who, let's be honest, don't know how to win. You know, Sussex have won one championship game a year for the last three years. You know, 13 championship wins in the last five years suggests that we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of talented players. And yes, there's a lot of good young players here. But the the first thing is we've got to start talking about young players and start talking about their professional cricketers whom we expect them to win. And I've talked a lot about the expectation of winning. So the opportunity to add a world-class player in Steve Smith, whose practice ethic is second to none to be in and around our dressing room, is a great opportunity for us as a club, to help our young players develop. And if on the knock-on from that, you know, someone like a Tom Haynes has a fantastic time working with Steve Smith, and that accelerates his learning to get into the England Test Team, then Steve Smith is actually doing county cricket and English cricket a huge favour. And, and look, the, the other aspect of it is, Steve first played for me at 17 in the Kent 2nd eleven uh, when Matthew Mott was with me on a, an overseas exchange deal with New South Wales. And I tried to sign Steve at 17, and his dad told me that he would play for Australia. And at that point, he batted seven, bold leg spin, and I said, oh, that's a
0: big shout. And his dad obviously knew more about his son than I did, to be fair. I don't think anybody can have a legitimate argument against uh, signing Steve Smith. And, and he'll put bums on seats, and let's be completely honest. But but the thing is that half, at least half the Ashes squad, Australian Ashes squad are getting a gig. There's Cameron Bancroft and, and Peter Hanscom and... I mean, you know, the counties seem to be queuing up to sign them. So it does seem, it does seem slightly odd, Bobby, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, look, Neil, I, I, I completely
3: agree. And, and look, maybe if I wasn't sat here as head coach of Sussex, I might be saying, what are Sussex doing? But I, 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 I'm... And I'm for it's always come across. I'm a massive, passionate supporter of county cricket. And last year, you know, I was defending county cricket to the hilt, saying every time England lose away, it's not county cricket's problem. You know, we, we know... That when we go overseas, and ever since Harman's been turned with England, finding fast bowlers to win games overseas has been a tough thing for us in English cricket. And our record away from home is not fantastic by any means. But what, what we have got to do is to say that if, if we want county cricket to be the best version it can be, we want the best players from around the world coming and playing county cricket. And we can't have them when it suits us and not when it doesn't suit us. We We have to be consistent with that. So... English county cricket has always been a bit of a finishing school for a lot of overseas cricketers. You know, the amount of cricketers going, you know, let's go right back to when I first started watching the greats of Glenn Turner and Barry Richards and all these people, Viv Richards, you know, they lit up our county game. And, and you know, we're talking in, in the moment about a world where we want more diversity and inclusion. We want more openness for the for the game of cricket. There is no better opportunity than to bring players from different cultures and different backgrounds into county cricket, and, and as you say, get people watching county cricket. You know, I've already had a chat with um, Claude Anderson at Leicester. He said, "Oh, thanks for signing Smudge. You know, that'll put a few people in our attendance at Grace Road for the four-day game." I hope yeah. it does, and genuinely hope it does. We play Glamorgan here in the last game that Stephen can play for us. Manus Nabishan will be playing in the opposition. Oliver Robinson will be playing for us, hopefully. So, you know, that that will set up what could be a fantastic four-day game here at Hove. You hope a lot of people come and watch it, and you hope a lot of people get excited by county cricket. So, you know, the county fans that were complaining last year that Strauss wanted to cut county cricket, and county cricket wasn't important, I think by us counties signing the best overseas players in the world, and there's a, there's another bloke here who ain't too bad as well, in <laughs> Swampajara. You know, he, he he's not the worst player either. So, you know, when you have the best players playing county cricket, I hope that... We're doing our bit, all of us as county clubs, to make sure county cricket is alive and well. We want our best young players to learn from the best players in the world. And, you know, Stephen is a great opportunity for us.
2: Yeah, you mentioned, you know, the best best players in the world. And that was a Durham game against Sussex at the end of at the end of last season. And I found myself, Fabio, I found myself looking at some of these young players and going, he play for England, he'll play for England. And it wasn't just the Tom Haynes. Yeah, I can think of young Alistair, or I can think of, Charlie Tier, I was, I was like, wow, this kid, his hands were excellent. He wow, beautifully. Stanley yeah. standing in the field when he got out. He got, he got 30 yard against he could my a good spell by Matty Potts. And I had to have a double look. I thought he looks about 10. And I'm like, <laughs> are you nice actually? Four? Yeah, <laughs> we mentioned before about learning how to win. Signing players like Pajara and Smith. I remember during my time, you know, my first ever captain, David Boone, I've been playing with likes to Shivna Ryan Chanderport, but also a twenty year old Simon Cartitch, a Mike Husty without played he hadn't played Test cricket when he was at Durham. These players completely transform a dressing room. They completely transform the way to think when you're you're trying to teach young players what they think is right and actually what is actually right for the game of cricket. So I've never been a believer that the Australians coming over is a problem. Yeah. Steve Smith having three games for Sussex have no bearing on the Ashes whatsoever. He averages 60 in England. So having Pajara and Smith in the dressing room, do you, what do you try to tell your young players that are different messages than what you were sending them
3: before? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm a massive believer in the players learn from players. You know, I, I know from having you around, I, I remember a game, Yorkshire second team, Durham second team, you came to the game um, just outside Middlesbrough and you came to the game for some treatment, and you sat and chatted to some of our bowlers on the balcony at that game, and the learning that those players got was huge. You then came and played on loan for us a little bit at Yorkshire, and again, our fast bowlers gravitated to you. Well, who do they want to listen to? They want to listen to you. We had Jason Gillespie as coach, and it's just, I've always said players learn from players. They don't learn from coaches. Players learn from watching, learn from listening, talking to. So, you know, I always used to say at Warwickshire, when we had Dom Sibley, Ollie Stone, Chris Wokes coming back from international duty. And they were talking about the series they just played or the series coming up. Sibs talking about getting into the England team, coping with the media, working with Ben Stones. Wow, how impressive Ben Stones was at practising and training. That rubs off on the youngsters like Rob Yates, Dan Mosley, you know, Henry Brooks, the lads that, Sam Hayne, the players that are there that want to play for England. And I want the same to happen here. You know, I want Ollie Robinson coming back. Joffa Archer was here on Friday, bowling in the middle with the lads. Time now. Mills is around. Stephen Finney's is around. Unfortunately, you know Finney's got this long-term injury. But when you have those players around, us coaches, all we do is nudge your best young players towards them and say, "Go and sit with them. Go and have a coffee with them. Have a bit of food with them. Practice with them. Ask if you can throw at them occasionally. And just just lap up. How do they practice? How do they prepare? Chatterswell is not the most talkative. He's not. You know, he's not be loud. But what he will do. It'll show how many balls he hits every day, how hard he works to achieve 100 test matches as an Indian international cricket. You know that the pressure that they play under is huge. You know, and Smith, 100 test matches. He's just turned the Australian team around in a one day series and a test series against India through his captaincy and his drive and his dedication to his team. And if he comes in with that for a month with us, our players, if they don't learn from him, They've missed an unbelievable opportunity. So, for me, it's it's not just what they say, it's what they do, how they do it, how they practice, how they prepare, and what an opportunity. Alior, you've mentioned there. Tom Haynes, you've mentioned there. Tom Alsop is another fine player. Dan Ibrahim, just been on the England Under 19s, England Young Lions tour. Outstanding young cricketer. Charlie Tier. These lads have got an opportunity to
0: lap up two of the best players in the world in their environment for a month. It doesn't get any better than that. Just going to pick up on two players you mentioned there. Um, so, two questions, if I may: Do you have a long-term plan to manage the workload of Joffrey Archer, or do you take it week by week when he comes back from the IPL, sort of see how he's feeling on a day-to-day basis? And secondly, what did you make of Ollie Robinson telling BBC Radio Sussex last week that uh, Australia could get a good hiding in the Ashes? Oh, well, I love that actually. To be there. fair, we, <laughs> no, we, uh, we we went
3: to watch the Brighton Crystal Palace m23 derby and the the guy from bbc radio in sussex asked him just before kickoff at halftime can you just kind of say a few words and he, he came back up when he'd finished and i was there with tom clark and tom haynes as well the us went to watch the game and he came back and i said oh, all right. he said yeah great and then the next morning i read the headlines yeah we got to give him a good idea i was like fantastic isn't it great here in england cricket talk talking positively about winning and not just saying we want to compete you know look you, you set yourself up to a certain extent, don't you, when you come out with big things like <laughs> that? You know, it's a bit like McGraw, where he used to say, "We're going to beat them five nil." You know, I've heard Harmy saying that they're going to win five nil this year already, which I'm all over. I think it's a good lesson for any cricketer that you know when you when you talk openly like that, you know, you, you leave yourself open. If it doesn't go against, if it goes against you, if it goes well, what a great prediction! Let's say that he's absolutely right. In terms of Joffre, um, we saw Joffre on Friday. That's the first time. I've seen him at the club in my time here. Um, he'll go straight from the IPL um to the Ashes series. I don't think we'll see a great deal of Joshua, but you know he, he's always got the home here. He's always got the base here. He's got a great link with our medical staff and our support staff, and and they'll always look after him. And I think he appreciates that. And it's a it, it's a relationship that works well. But you know that the way that the world is now, Neil, in terms of you know franchise cricket, um, you know straight into a, a Test match series. Um, and if England can get him right, and he gets enough overs between games in the IPL with a Red ball to make sure he's got his his spells up, then you know there's no reason why he can't go straight into the Ashes and, and play a big part in uh, in England giving them a good hiding. <laughs> yeah, give them a good hiding. Yeah, there's no, I, I didn't
2: have a problem with young Oliver saying that. Um, again, I thought it was a it was a, a McGraw moment, and yeah, good on him. He, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. He's had some stick. He's some stick off. Off the media, so why not? Why not say say what he feels there? But just to finish on on Sussex, Fabi, um, you mentioned a losing mentality. We've got a, yeah, a lot of young lads being sort of put together. Now they've got some direction um, when it comes to some senior men. Where do you see um, Sussex being in, in six months' time? Because you have got a lot of young lads, but you're a year older, a year wiser, are you expecting big things or is it a case of we're on a project and a three-year plan and we're in the middle of it?
3: Well, I, I, I've been really specific from day one. I, I expect to win. I, I haven't come here to just enjoy South Coast for a couple of years and sit it the next year. I've come here to win and, you know, I, I, I want to win and I, I've made no apology for talking up the level of expectation. And, you know, I've said, and it's on our whiteboard up in our viewing area, Promotion to Division 1 is 225-plus points. Uh, We've got to win eight out of the 14 games. And that's all I'm talking about. And um, if I came here, Stephen, and said, let's try and win three or four games this year, and it's up it next year, I'm giving the players a a get-out before we even start. So, you know, they're professional cricketers. The key that you said there is they're a year older and wiser. And there's a lot of young players here who played a lot of games through injuries, through, because there's been nobody else, an opportunity... And I've been very upfront and said, I, I I could, as a coach, I could buy myself a bit of time and say, you know, it's a three-, four-year project. I'm not going to do that. I, I want to be in Division One by the end of this season. That's the goal. That's the aim. That's what we're going to talk about. And until that's not possible, we'll be doing everything we can to get there. Um, and I've set some high standards within the strategy, and I think it's the right thing to do. You know, this, this club has only won 13 trophies in its entire history. So you know, winning trophies isn't a given, but we want to get to a point where we are winning and talking about winning, using the right language around the players, the club and the members, and not just talking about competing. Wouldn't it nice to be? No. If you hope to do something, you don't do it. You know, I hope to lose weight, it doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> expect to do something. <laughs> <laughs> but if you expect to do something, you, you make more of an effort and you're more driven to do it. So, you know, I'm talking about when we win, not if we win, and the level of expectation on me and all of the players and the staff here, is it's about time we start winning games of cricket. One game a year for the last three years is not good enough for a club like this. We've got a lot of talented players. We've got a lot of fantastic resources in terms of practice facilities. We've got a brilliant medical setup. Let's get stuck in and let's try and get ourselves promoted to Division 1.
0: If not by the end of this year, by the end of next season. That's our goal. Paul Farrbrace, thank you so much indeed for your time. There's nothing wrong with uh, a few hours in a deck chair on the South Coast, by the way. (laughs) After a win, it'll be fantastic. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll be joined by Manchester Thunder bowler Phoebe Graham to look back at the final of the WPL, the Women's Premier League, and reflect on the first ever draft in the Women's 100.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news.
0: You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Delighted to say that uh, we're joined, as promised, by Lancashire Thunder's Phoebe Graham to, well, look back at the women's draft and uh, and the women's Premier League, which uh, reached a conclusion, obviously, with the Mumbai Indians victorious after three weeks of, uh, of highly entertaining and competitive cricket. Phoebe, um, it's been busy for you as well in the last uh, couple of months. It's been all over the world. Dubai, Mumbai, where did you watch the, the 100 draft?
4: So we were actually in Mumbai when the 100 draft happened and all in hotel rooms in different places. So we were with Lancashire Thunder, so we saw the stark news that Kate Cross moved across the border from Manchester Originals to the Northern Superchargers um, and joined her the next day. So, yeah, there was some very interesting moves, news and talk on the bus at 6am to Mumbai Cricket Ground. We went to play at Sachin Tandalka's home ground the next morning and got lost on the bus for two hours. So, lots <laughs> of talk about it on the bus.
2: Phoebe, we'll come to the, the, the trip to Dubai and, and Mumbai in a second, but what about Kate Cross, fell into Yorkshire? What about that? You must, you must have get in so much stick for that. I remember... I remember Freddie playing for, for England at it for, you know, the Lancastrian. And he's probably, only, well, probably more than one got booed by the Western Terrace. But he got so much stick for being a Lancastrian. And Yorkshire have signed a, you know, a bowler from Lancashire.
4: Absolutely. It's that um, cricket and crime that is completely out of her hands. I think the head coach at the Manchester Originals had said he would write to match her at 25000 but if any team bidded for her at that top bracket, 31000 he wouldn't match. And that's where Northern Superchargers, Manchester Originals' biggest rivals, actually put the bid in, got Kate Cross, and the next morning I was sat next to her on the bus and she said, I'm just trying to process it all. And our Thunder head coach, Paul Shaw, ex-England coach, is a Yorkshireman, and he just came onto the bus chanting, Super Chargers, Super Chargers. So, so many mixed emotions for her. But I know Danny Hazel's a great coach, and she's a big friend of hers. So I think she's looking forward to working under her.
0: Let's talk about the Women's Premier League then. Uh, We can come back to that topic, but I've got to get this question in about uh, Natsgiver Branton. and and Izzy Wong. Um, I'm not sure that Izzy was necessarily um, one of the, you know, the the bigger names and wouldn't possibly have been expecting to feature quite as prominently. She's had a brilliant tournament uh, for the Mumbai Indians.
4: Yeah, it's been outstanding for players like Izzy Wong. I think she went for the lowest tier bracket for Mumbai Indians as one of the last picks on the draft. And because of her pace, which makes her a unique point in the game, she managed to get a place on the 11 in the starting 11 and took the first ever Women's Premier League hat-trick as well as taking three in the final. So she's really made a huge name for herself and she was always on the brink of that T20 World Cup squad. So it'll be really interesting how John Lewis goes around his pick this summer, but it's been amazing for her. And Nat Siverbrunt, the highest score, highest price for the England women's team. I think she went at £310,000 for this Women's Premier League draft she just showed her worth in the final playing a very sensible, well-timed innings that was just absolutely brilliant, taking the team home and getting Charlotte Edwards the cup. The Mumbai Indians become the first women's Premier League champions. So yeah, incredible for a lot of the English girls that were out there and able to experience it. It was one hell of a final and sometimes a low scoring finals are the best.
2: Yeah, Yeah, they are. And, I'm interested about Izzy Wong because Phoebe, in the last sort of four or five years, women's cricket's gone to a whole new level. You know, the 100, for me, has been better for the women's game than it has for the, the men's game. Is that why the likes of Izzy Wong have come from out of nowhere, seen what's on an offer, potentially a future in a job and earning vast amounts of money in women's cricket, do you think she's now going to be the the sort of the poster girl for all the 13, 14, 15 year old girls now aspiring to be what they didn't have before, which is potentially be a professional cricketer?
4: Absolutely. And I think the main reason for that is that the domestic game has become professionalised. So before there were 15 central contracted England players that were able to work on the game full time, whereas now you've got 100 contracted professional cricketers working on the game full time. And you just don't know what that exponential curve is going to be of growth. And Izzy Wong, Alice Capsie, um, Grace Scrivens, they're all names coming from nowhere. But they're now able to work on the game five days, six days a week. So the power in the game, the speed in the game is going to increase. And Izzy Wong's a great example of someone that can now bowl 70 miles per hour in the women's game and wants to bowl fast. And you're getting women and girls coming through like the likes of Catherine Siverbrunt who want to bowl fast whereas before there was only a few of us, now there's a big collection of us that want to be the fastest bowler in the world, want to bowl bouncers, want to hit the ball and clear the stadium. So it's all tying into that domestic contracts and it's a really exciting time for women's cricket and English cricket.
0: Are Your thoughts on Dane van Niekerk, the former South African captain, also now she's going to be playing domestic cricket for Uh, the Sunrisers, retiring at the age of 29. Um, You don't necessarily have to comment on why she did that. Um, But uh, just a reminder for those who don't remember, she she missed a 2K time trial by 18 seconds and was basically treated appallingly by by the board, the Cricket South Africa board. And and so it, it sets an interesting precedent, doesn't it? I mean, the fact now that women can earn a living They uh, as full-time professionals. They don't necessarily uh, need to rely on their national boards.
4: Absolutely, and I think this is another area that's really interesting in women's cricket is franchise cricket. And there's players like Lizelle Lee, Dan Van Eyck, Deandre Dottin, who are travelling the world, not playing for their country, but probably, skill-wise, good enough to be playing for their country. South Africa have sent presidents with the professionalism in terms of her not being in the team because of that 2k time trial I think tre- very unfairly but who knows what's going on behind the scenes and it just shows where they're at with their professionalism and it sets a bar for the rest of the squad going forward so it's a whole new world that's opened up to women cricketers and hopefully countries like South Africa um West Indies don't lose out on some of the best international players because they want to go and play franchise cricket around the world. Did we
2: talk about the domestic game. Your season's upon us. It's freezing cold. So what a better place to go is Dubai and Mumbai to get from bed for standing in the freezing cold. How did that trip go? How are Lancashire standing at this minute in time? And I think more broadly, where do you see the overall women's game going over the course of the next six months of, of when... Sun comes out and we can call it our summer.
4: Yeah, but the squad's looking brilliant. We've um, been on quite a journey of the Lancashire Thunder. We were a very young squad to start with and learning the ropes and lost more games than we won, if we're completely honest. But we've made a few good signings this year in Naomi de Fi Fee Morris, Tara Norris. Myself came over the border last year and the group's just balanced out, and the standard of things like the fielding, the growth of partnerships, the bowling attack, we look like a different team, and it's exciting to be part of. Our cricket fixtures have doubled this year from a domestic perspective, so rather than training all week and playing one game on a weekend and feeling like a club cricketer, I think it's really going to start feeling more professional playing two, three games a week, which is more in line with the men's game, so... There's going to be a really exciting build-up in first game April the 22nd against South Stars at Emirates Old Trafford and the Ashes starts in June, July. So there's going to be some real hunger for competition for spots. I think majority of the England girls are with the domestic teams for that period to really strengthen the domestic game and also give them game time. So we'll see some more stars come through, I think, in those couple of months which will go on and play in either the Ashes or the 100s really exciting time for women's cricket and the way our domestic leagues are shaping up as well gives people the opportunity to really truly compete like athletes now.
0: Phoebe, thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's been um, greatly appreciated. I have to say that the growth of the women's game and the rise of the women's game is one of the most exciting aspects of of cricket. Um, uh, And and just, just when you think that, you know, the game can't, get any more exciting and old dog like me gets so excited about that you know the the fact that we've got a a whole new wing of, of the game and it, you know it is half the world's population so um that my only re- regret is that it should have happened many, many years ago. But it will really, really uh very best of luck for the summer and we'll be keeping tabs on you.
4: Real, thanks a lot. Lovely to see you all.
0: You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe and Durham Hall of Famer, Steve Harmison. Right, let's uh discuss briefly the hundred draft. I don't know which uh, stories stuck out for you, Harmy, but um um I thought the process was slightly confusing. Uh some, some big names unsold, Babarazam um Mitchell Stark withdrawing on the eve of the draft. What well, what other stories come to mind for you? Yeah, I couldn't believe Babarazam went unsold. I seen I seen some of the highlights
2: of it and a bit confused and who was in what Pop and what was going on? It was like a champions. It was like a Champions League draw for the qualifiers. All all exit, loads and loads of balls in one pot. I've got no idea how much this player's worth, and I've got no idea how much this player's eventually going to get, and I've literally got no idea where this player's going to go. Um, so it wasn't. I didn't feel as though it was put in the best context on TV that I knew where a player possibly could go for the amount of money that he, he he's in the bracket for, and. I switched off after a while. Not was nothing against the hundred. I just, I just lost interest in what was happening. Mitchell Stark, you'll probably understand why he pulled out because he's got six test matches possibly in seven weeks. So I can get that, and he probably di- didn't want to, you know, put ECB or anybody in that in that boat of, of pulling out last minute. The relationship between Cricket Australia and any ECB, so that was probably a sensible choice. <laughs> Babur Zahn's the best multi-format batsman in the world. So for him not to get unsold, there's got to be something else that's in the offering. The rest of it, I didn't think, I didn't see some the big overseas household names that you possibly could have expected. Um, Hasaranga went to the Manchester Originals. I'd be very surprised if he plays a game because he'd be getting more money in the American League and he'd get, obviously, the Sri the Lankan Premier League's been announced at the same time as... So he'll play in his home tournament, I've got no doubt whatsoever. So it it is what it it was when it it, what, when it was. Another one, Nokia, big, big player, huge player of IPL cricket. SA twenty decided to go to America instead of come to, to England. I don't think Unre Nokia will be the only player that does that. And I think there'll be quite a few moving forward. So be interesting to see what the hundred does, whether it takes on the MLC tournament or to try and move it to a point where everybody's accommodated just to get the big names in. But I'm trying not to have a go at the 100 as much as I have been in the last couple of years when I, I wasn't really sort of overwhelmed by what the draft gave me.
0: There was one very big, literally, Pakistan player who was um, drafted. Shaheen Afridi has uh, gone to Welsh fire. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it must be quite hard to sell the prospect of joining a team that's uh, 0-8. But yeah they have um fire building from the bottom up, yeah, it's a good signing, but you've got to get' them to come that's the thing that's
2: you as soon as you've seen that that signing that was scratching your head going yeah i get the I get the sign, it's the right one, and it's the right pick, the had first pick, and it was the right pick, but that's on paper and as we know, manners, and you've gone cricket for about hundred and fifty years. Cricket stopped played on paper. You know, you look at the Australian bowling attack that's coming for the Ashes on paper, Mitchell Stark, Josh and World Pat Cummins, Cameron Green and Nathan Nines, a fantastic bowling attack on paper. They've bowled very well each other as a collective unit in recent past. So on paper, they're a fantastic unit. Shaheen Afridi, excuse me, is a fantastic option. But one, he's got to be fit to get here. And two, he's he's got to turn up and... Some of the big names have put their names forward in the past and haven't really turned up physically or if they've turned up at all. So with the cricket that, that's going in between time. So I think we cover the 100 and be as enthusiastic as we can possibly be um, and get better at being enthusiastic as we can possibly be about the 100 uh, when the Ashes is finished. Because we'll know then that all these big name superstars who are signed up at this minute in time are actually going to come and turn up and play properly.
0: OK, let's move on to um, all the other business. It's all happening in South Africa. Um, record run chase in the uh, second T20 between South Africa and the West Indies. West Indies putting 258 on the board on the back of a stunning 100 from Johnson Charles. And then uh, South Africa chasing it down with um, seven balls to spare. Incredible stuff. I mean, over 500 runs scored in um, less than, than 40 overs. It was was, was thrilling stuff. And uh I have to say that there there were a lot of slot balls, um, but it was a very, very flat pitch, small outfield, um, and on the high felt the ball flies very quickly. Not sure how uh whether you saw that or not, Harmy, but um uh, I, I I just got the impression the bowlers gave up halfway. <laughs> Do you know what? There were thirteen bowlers used and only one of them went for less than ten and over. When that was Rabada. <laughs> Ramada's mm. bowled his four overs for thirty nine, so yeah, yeah, it was it was madness.
2: I was to Matt, I was watching, I thought I was watching a three and a half hour highlights reel. It literally was every ball going for six and four. Yeah. It was it was fascinating. It was brilliant. Who would be a bowler in that situations? But what you would see is you know, the what the bowlers that in in the games like that, if the bowlers that win the match because it's the one that doesn't go around the park in his four overs is the one that. Makes a difference in in the runs that aren't scored off him to to win the win the cricket game and was a hundred off? Yeah, Quinton the got hundred off forty four balls. It was it was brilliant. It was a fantastic game of cricket. But like you said, who would be a bowler in that situation? And again, just shows the boundaries that these guys are pushing. The way the game's played now, two hundred and fifty nine, It's just mind boggling. To be
0: fair. It is. Um, South Africa have got a couple of massive games coming up. You wouldn't normally say that with two ODIs against the Netherlands to finish their season. But it is interesting that the nine biggest-named South African players are going to miss the start of the IPL um, because South Africa have, have not released them. They've kept them back. They have to win those two games to qualify automatically for the World Cup. So uh, you mentioned Cock? Marco Jansen, Aaron Klaassen, Susander Magala, Aidan Marker and David Miller, who, of course, is uh, in the defending champions, the Gujarat Titans, Lungi and Gidi, Anrich Norkia and Rabada, all being kept back for a week. Uh, the players aren't particularly pleased about it. The IPL are furious about it because they were told by Cricket South Africa before the player auction that all the South Africans would be available for the whole tournament. Um, and the players are saying to Cricket South Africa, well, you cancelled our series against Australia so that we were all available for the first season of the SA Twenty. Now you're not letting us go to the IPL because you want us to beat the Netherlands to get to the World Cup. Yeah, it's a it's a one that we
2: we approached a couple of weeks ago. That I thought, yeah, I like a bit like the royal Roy situation. The closer it gets, the harder it could become if the solution's not met. Board flexing its muscles. Who's going to win? There's a lot of players to take on here. A lot of players to take on, and. I wouldn't say it's quite ballsy by I forget South Africa because it's in their right and it's in their best interest to, because they don't want to go through the qualification stage because the qualification stage will be so much harder than trying to beat the Netherlands twice. Do you think there's more mileage to go in this? Do you think there's players who will will turn, will will possibly... I they I, can't make a decision of retiring or walking away. But David Miller could. Well, Quentin de Kock could do anything, to be honest. The rest of them are relatively... Young guys, you know, Robert and Nokia, and Giri, they're not in the twilight of their career. Miller is. Is Miller going to continue playing all? Um, so there might be one or two thinking about it, but it's a lot of money to give away. Some of them will be losing in excess of 50,000 US dollars. And that's a lot of money for just playing two bilateral ODIs against the Netherlands, where what are they going to get? Possibly 10 US dollars?
0: Yeah, maybe a little bit more than that, um, but not much. So, Mark Elaine has been appointed Gloucestershire's new white ball head coach. I know that you and I both did a couple of uh, talking events with um, John Bracewell uh, while we were in New Zealand. Um, and Bracewell Elaine, uh, of course, was Gloucestershire's captain when Bracewell was head coach when they won, oh, I think it was five or six um, one day trophies. And I I asked John why Mark Elaine hadn't. Uh, had more of a of a run and more opportunity as a head coach and he said he he got one of the sharpest cricketing brains um and and as a captain and as a thinker and particularly as a reader of the game he said he's one of the best he said he's just perhaps not so much of a paperwork man and the implication was that you know that the the time at your desk as a head coach is as important unfortunately as your time in a tracksuit on the field anyway so best of luck to mark elaine And, you know, John Bracewell said he's a genius. Um, The way he reads the game, absolutely fantastic. And um, so your thoughts on that, Harmy, before we move on to or finish on your um, Hall of Fame in Northampton and Durham. I I thought Mark Olin would have been a cluster
2: for many, many years after he finished playing, but he seemed to move away for a minute and then he's now gone back, which is great because he was in the Caribbean, wasn't he, with England? On the white ball leg in, I think in 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 January, um, and he's been around a bit from a coaching point of view. But to go back to where you are from and to have a you know, a real connection with where you where you made your name as such as a player, I think it's huge when you go back as a coach and you get the history of of success. And I think Mark Bullion, and that's probably one of the reasons I decided not to go into coaching because I had no interest in paperwork whatsoever. I had no interest in that side of it. Whatsoever, give me a, a tracksuit. When we talk to some players, do the ins and outs of what it is to play this ridiculous game we all love. And I, I ain't mean, interested in filling full into that. To be honest, that's for somebody else to do. So I, I can understand what John was saying about Mark Galeen. The other night at Durham, it was it was magnificent. Um, there was some great old timers there from when Durham, some great videos from when Durham first came on the scene in 1992 ridiculous haircuts. I was taking them again, John Morris. I was with John Morris the other night who played for England was on the Tiger Moth with David Gower who has now got, he's got more ha- hair on the back of his hand than he has on the top of his head. But to see the comb over of, of, of Animal all them years ago, he got some stick the other night when uh, we did a and a But it was just, it was it was brilliant. And I, one of the younger guys was there who's just retired from, from international cricket and Kyle Kurtzer Finished with Scotland, 38-year-old, great servant to Scottish cricket, great servant to Durham as well when we were successful and winning. But the Hall of Fame at Durham, you had to be retired five years. We are now 31 years into our you know, short first pass history. Uh, we've won a few trophies. We've had some success. Jeff Cook was the first person that was inducted, which was self-explanatory because the whole ground should be named after Jeff Cook for what he's done since he was there in 1991 and really getting it off the ground. Um, followed by Dean Jones, the late great Dean Jones, whose wife sent a lovely letter, it was a, honestly it was a lump and throat sort of moment Dean Jones was only there for one year but he made such an impression on the club Um, and then Simon Brown, myself and Collie all were inducted honoured by the great man, David Boone who we see in New Zealand my first ever captain, three years he taught Durham how and what it was like to win off the back of basically doing exactly the same with Tasmania um, all them years ago. And we couldn't get to him in the ICC. wouldn't let us get to him in in New Zealand to do a a three-minute video for the night. So we asked him to send over his thoughts on his time at Durham. I think it was 32 minutes long when uh, he finished. Finished up talking. It was was some of the stuff. I've seen some of the stuff that got unedited. (laughs) It it was brilliant. He loved his time at Durham. We told the story about when it was snowing and, he was 38-year-old. He'd never seen snow before in his life. I remember him rang the dressing room when he lived up, because he lived up on top of the hill at concert, and he rang the dressing room. This is day one, first day of the season. He's rang the dressing room at half eight in the morning. What on earth is this? And he's like, we mean? It's snow. We were from the northeast of England. And he said, I am 38-year-old. I have never seen snow in my entire life. And then went on to say the fact that, right, I live on top of the hill. If I've never seen it, I've never driven it, so I'm not driving. Somebody come and pick me up. And then he finished it by, pref- preferably not you, because I wasn't the best driver at that time. Your kids would argue I'm not the best driver now, as you've noticed, man, as in New Zealand. So it was just a great night. It was some old faces. Callum full from the championship went inside, Gordon Mutchell from the championship went inside, and you know, the great man Otis Gibson was there as well, who... Um, has got a big job coming up with Yorkshire. So all in all, it was a, a fantastic occasion to have with our families. I had my family there. Holly had all his kids the you know, kids there. Yeah, uh, there it was a, a brilliant night. Um, celebrated well and we all got our the awards of uh Surrey and Bolton, the chairman. So history in one night was was huge and it was a great first year of the Hall of Fame, which hopefully will go on for many years to come.
0: I and mean, then I'll raise a glass to uh, to Durham and uh, many many years to come, as you said. I thought you were a great driver in New Zealand until you took a shortcut down that pavement. Um, <laughs> Andy, the traffic light got in the way. It was the it was the right it was the right path. I seen
2: I seen a window of opportunity, but the traffic light, and then for about fifty yards on the wrong side of the road was always going to be a challenge. But we managed to get there. We got there safe and sound, and just to finish on Durham. We've heard from Paul Farberis. He said he wants to win the second division of the Championship. said he wants to win. Um, my tip, and I'm sure we'll get them for, in, in a couple of weeks, in the next couple of weeks. But looking at the Durham side, who were all there, I think Durham have got a great chance of winning the second division of the Championship. Because when you look at it, I think Sussex have got a very good side, where year upon year, getting better. Yorkshire have got a very, very strong side with Johnny coming back. But the bowling attack that Durham potentially could have, the start of that season I think might just be the ones that
0: get some in and around that promotion challenge to get in the first division you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me Neil Manthorpe and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up you can download the podcast from the following on feed now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts we'll be back at the same time next week and we'll hear from a whole bunch of Surrey players ahead of the start of the new season
1: Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.